2: and we were on the road with the Rough Riders. Joe Womack was our strength coach, and he was rooming with Ron Este. I'm coming down the elevator with Joe Womack, and he is mad. He is so mad. And I'm like, what's wrong, Joe? And he goes, you wouldn't believe what Estee did. He's in his underwear, and he emptied the mini minibar. Smarties and the Kit Kats, thinking it's free, thinking it was a gift basket. And Joe looks at me, it ain't funny. This is the Rod Peterson Show. Welcome inside everybody our final hour of 2023 here on the RP show on a football Friday as you can see broadcasting from South Florida in this studio Moose joining us from the Toronto studio and it's always a lot of fun doing these best of shows and we've covered a lot of ground this week Moose and we will a little later on Uh, At the end of this hour, we'll recap our top five news stories of the year in all of the NHL, the CFL, the NFL, and our interviews. Our best of interviews were some real awesome ones, man. We had a great year. Ted Nolan promoting his book Life in Two Worlds. Ryan Huska, the coach of the Flames. Kelly Rudy coming down to Century Downs in Calgary. Trevor Harris, Ricky Williams, and coming up this hour, Cody Fajardo and Dan. G and Cola, Um, I guess before we jump into our top five miscellaneous slash other stories of the sports world, uh, it was a pretty good year for the RP show. What do you think? It
3: was a great year for the RP show from being down and around at Grey Cup, the All-Star game in Florida. Remember that happened, the All-Star weekend in South Florida. Um, We were around a lot of great events. Um, It was a lot of fun. And you know what? Been a lot of changes for you and me. So a lot to be grateful for in 2023. Yes, for
2: sure. And uh, now that I think about that, you're right. We did our thousandth show episode from right here um, at the Beach House. You came down for that. That was a ton of fun. And as you said, we did the NHL All-Star Game festivities from the Beach House again. Rich Sutter joining us. And I can't remember who else. It was awesome. But... Again, we'll do this a little later on this hour, recap our top NHL, CFL, and NFL show uh, stories. We focus on that primarily here on the RP Show because that is our wheelhouse. It is Canada after all, hockey and football, but two sports that are making significant gains in Canada are basketball and baseball, there's no doubt. So my top five story, and this this isn't even in any particular order. This is just five stories, okay? on april 21st nick nurse was fired as head coach of the raptors and i swear i am that guy that i only got caught up in the raptors winning the nba title because they were on this dramatic run you know like i, I wasn't you know they were packing mosaic stadium they were calling it jurassic park blah 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 nick nurse led him to that championship and all of a sudden boom they have a bad year and he's fired Nick Nurse, April 21st. I will preface this by saying I ran into a basketball NBA guy in the summer. It was actually in Calgary, of all things, and he said, Listen, Nick Nurse had to go. You don't know the inside story. Just basically, according to this guy, he got thinking he was bigger than the team. It happens. But Nick Nurse being fired as coach of the Raptors wasn't a great
3: moment in Raptors history. No, it wasn't. But, you know, they move on, they turn the page. And, you know, that championship, Feels like it's so far in the rearview mirror. Kawhi Leonard left town right away. Now Nick Nurse gone. But, um, you know, the Raptors do have an exciting young core. Scotty Barnes kind of leading the way. Um, so they are fun to watch. But, yeah, that was a big story. Um, uh, a big defining era was the Nick Nurse era in Toronto. Yeah, and the last I
2: saw, I'm not sure that's the case today, the last I've checked on my score app, Nick Nurse is now coaching the Philadelphia 76ers. that he's got them at least in a playoff spot, I think, in third. And the Raptors are really sucking. So, again, I don't know. I'd love to sit down with the Messiah Jury and get the inside story. I'm pretty sure that's never going to happen. Fourth story, if I may, in a pretty pretty big story. It's, it's not going to go as number one. But had Shohei Otani signed with the Toronto Blue Jays, that would have been the biggest other story of 2023 and it went you know into December Um, and I'm not even familiar with Major League Baseball free agency or when it is but it comes out of their winter meetings Uh, he went on his tour and to be honest what do they say in the spiritual world thank God for closed doors or thank God for no's because they're redirections Otani ends up signing with the Dodgers seven years 700 million or 10 years, $700 million. Deferred money and all that, it doesn't matter. She, Shohei Ohtani just, did he toy with the hearts of the Toronto fans or did the media let them down?
3: He ended up signing with the Dodgers after people really believed that he was coming to the Blue Jays. Well, a big part of it was, you know, this word that came out of the, the Shohei camp that Teams or people around weren't supposed to talk about meetings and divulge any information. And I thought, man, the Jays really must not have known that they weren't going to get them either, because as soon as you know you're not going to get them, why would you hold on to the secrets anymore? I would come out and just say, we're not getting them. But that day in December, when the plane was being tracked from Anaheim to Toronto, and it was, ended up being Robert Herjavec of the Dragons' Den in the Shark Tank, his plane, the private flight, and people rushing to the airport and fake videos being dropped and fake me- uh, reservations being leaked and all the rest. And Shohei thought it was fun as he was sitting at home in L.A. Um, he's almost become public enemy number one in Toronto, maybe in Canada as a result. But uh, it was sure something uh, to, to see and follow. And at the end, it turned into a whole lot of nothing for Jays fans.
2: Time flies. Can we say that you basically moved to Toronto, what do we say, in June 1st? So it's like six, seven months there. July? Okay. Um, Which I still think equates to like six months as we sit here today. Rate, from your perspective, the fandom by teams in the market and be honest. Because I've never lived there. I don't know. You tell me what it is.
3: Oh, boy. The Leafs are number one by far. Um, Raptors would be, well, no, sorry. Go Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and then you would go and do Toronto FC Argos, probably. That would probably be gotcha. the top five. Yeah.
2: I tell you, that's the one thing, as I said, we haven't even had hardly any of Rod's story time here, but Darren and I did have similar upbringings in the broadcast industry, and that is working small market Saskatchewan radio. And did you op yeah. Blue Jays games operate, produce Blue Jays game? You
3: as did I. Absolutely. And
2: uh, yeah, yeah. And it was for me, 92. <laughs> Believe it or not, the Blue Jays were charging to their first World Series, and we used to get this feed in the back of the radio station. You know the phrase, patch it in? We had these actual cords that passed into these holes. They're like RCA cords almost, and the the, the feeds were coming in via satellite, and we had Joe Bowen calling Leafs preseason baseball, uh, sorry, Leafs preseason hockey, and we had Tom Cheek calling Blue Jays regular season baseball, and I had to change the channel that it was coming on, and I'm like, well, why are the Blue Jays not taking priority? They're in a pennant run right now. This is September of 92, and and why is Tom, why are the Leafs on the number one channel? And they're like, you don't understand. A Leafs exhibition game will supersede a Blue Jays regular season game, even chasing the pennant. I was like, what? But here's me, this 18-year-old kid, 19-year-old farm kid. What the hell would I... Now you get it. Now I get it. Anyways, jumping back on, our number three story of the year here is the World Series. Texas beats Arizona in five games. And uh, Bruce Bocce with the World Series championship for the Rangers after three with the Giants. And again, listen, I'm not the biggest baseball guy, but I obviously follow follow it. And I was listening on the radio here in South Florida. They were saying, this is not a good matchup. Diamondbacks versus the Rangers. Nobody's going to watch. Nobody cares. And I've never really been that guy other than to say, well, I didn't watch. He wasn't exactly selling it for me. Although he did say the Rangers had never won a World Series. So that perked my interest going into the series. But I didn't really watch it. And uh, the argument... On the co-host on the radio that day was that well it can't always be the Yankees and the Cubs and the Dodgers and the Braves like it's got to be other teams or else why play but your what are your thoughts on that World Series matchup which incidentally Texas won in five games
3: yeah and you know obviously not the marquee matchup everybody wants in in Major League Baseball but it was still a good one and Arizona has been a while that was a good story But Texas at the end, I mean, we all watched it, or at least I watched it. Um, Always try and watch the championships being handed out. So I was following at the end of that uh, playoff series and at the end of the World Series to uh, watch that moment. It was a cool one, and, uh, you know, congratulations to the fans in Texas. Well, they say, I mean, I...
2: uh... What should I say certified mental health and addiction recovery coach here recovery coach is the title. I know that your your thoughts your behavior your outlook perspectives all formed from what you were as a child your upbringing what was going on in your home what your parents were interested in what your siblings were interested in all that stuff is bred from when you're a little kid and for me Although we don't talk about it as much as I would like, you know this very well, I could go on the air every single day and do a junior hockey show for two hours and be tickled as a pig in slop. The problem is how many people would watch it. And my point is here, they're not the top two stories of the year in sports, but they are two stories. And the Centennial Cup was played in Portage, and the Brooks Bandits won the national championship, beating the Battleford's North Stars 4-2. And I'm very close to that Battleford staff, you know. And I, I think about watching that final. And again, where the heck was I? Again, I would think I was in Calgary watching it. Doesn't matter. But I think it was like 4 nothing after the second period. And you just knew the Stars weren't coming back. And it was, they weren't going to beat Brooks, you know. And somebody wrote in here the other day. I, saw, I still have it on the text line. Would you rather miss the playoffs altogether or lose in the national championship game? And I'm like, there's different ways to answer that. But if you want to talk pure heartache, I'd rather miss the playoffs altogether because there is nothing worse than losing in the national championship. I've had that happen multiple times, but Brooks won the championship. And I love these year end shows. As much as it was a painful day, I was like, oh, yeah.
3: Did you watch it? Of course. And you do. You look back and say, wow, they got all the way to the national championship. Pretty impressive for the battle for its North Stars and Braden Clamosco. And they're near the. Top of the, uh, the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League again this year. So he's done great work there. Um, highly respected. Well done. But that program in Brooks is so dominant that, uh, you know, you're not surprised to see them win another national title and hang another banner. But good effort and, and definitely a good season.
2: Well, and then uh, we wind it up, this segment anyways, because we have our best of interviews upcoming on this football Friday from Cody Fajardo and Dan Giancola, but the Memorial Cup. And, yeah, I remembered it was in Kamloops, but I'll be honest, I had to go back and think about who won it and who played in the final. And it was Patrick Waugh and his Quebec Rampart beating the Seattle Thunderbirds by a score of 5 nothing. And, and if I remember it right... On the Wednesday night, Kamloops, the host team, had a chance to squash Quebec, but they blew a 2-0 lead and ended up losing, I think, 5-2, something along those lines. But you brought something up here on the show last week. Again, Quebec won the member in Kamloops. But the games aren't on television anymore, and I kind of sit here and wonder, does anybody care but us? Because... I don't know if the attendance is floundering or not. I know when Connor Bedard was filling the rinks last year in uh, the Western Hockey League, setting attendance records, that it didn't matter that the newspaper industry is in the toilet or that the games aren't on television. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. Yeah. The junior hockey, ju- it, junior hockey's suffering from a lack of coverage from my, the way I used to watch it and follow it. But maybe it's all social media nowadays. Maybe it's all ball bearings nowadays. I don't know. Um, your thoughts on all of that?
3: Yeah, I, I know. And, and the Memorial Cup was great. Um, it, uh, you know, it seems like it was a while ago. And I mean, it way was. It was in the first part of the year in the spring. But yeah, you know, junior hockey is still junior hockey that we love um, and know and no love. You're right. It's not covered the same way. The games aren't on national television like they used to be. I know TSN's put up a handful of games on TSN+. Plus. If you subscribe to that, Um, we'll see what they come out with in the new year leading into the Memorial Cup, which we know the member will likely be on TV. But um, it is fun to follow. And as usual, it's been a while, though, for the West. What is it now? Four in a row for the Quebec Major Junior League, all the way back to 2018, that Quebec's won the member. Been a while for the Western League. But uh, 2014, Edmonton was the last one. But uh, a lot of Western League teams uh, near the top of the CHL rankings as we go into the break.
2: Yeah, Moose John Saskatoon in the top 10. And that's the thing, and uh, we'll get to our best of interviews when we come back, but it t- took me a couple of years uh, broadcasting the RP show, half a year from down here. I've got my Florida friends saying, I love your show, you're very entertaining, but when you get talking about the CFL or you get talking about junior hockey, you lose me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, guys. And I had to finally just put my foot down and say, that's who I am. That's in my DNA. So if you don't like it, don't watch which is why we ended up starting the panthers podcast panthers lightning podcast and that's going great everybody's happy okay moose i'll see you back um for the final wrap-up of the year a little later on thanks for this you bet thank you our final best of 2023 interviews begin after this break on deck Cody Fajardo, the MVP of the 2023 Grey Cup. We'll be right back on Game Plus Television, WQEE Radio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube Live. Need a champion for your charity event? An all-star for your seminar? How about an Olympian to give a winning keynote speech? EMJ Marketing is the place to go. EMJ Marketing is one of Canada's top speaker bureaus, with some of Canada's most recognizable athletes and entertainers on their roster. EMJ also represents a wide range of impactful keynote speakers and MCs. So whether you need to fill a spot on stage or someone to arrange the entire event, Do it with one stop, EMJ Marketing. Take the first step to success for your next event. Visit emjmarketing.com. Welcome back, everybody. The best of 2023 Football Friday episode continues as we go headlong back into the football discussion. And our good friend Cody Fajardo, which ironically, we never, ever did work together on the Rough Riders. We missed each other, but yeah, certain people just click and Cody and I are two of those guys. He is the MVP of the Grey Cup. And with the Montreal Alouettes, they upset Winnipeg 28-24 in the CFL Championship in Hamilton. And a week after the game, Cody joined us to talk about it. But it's not an overreaction that Cody Fajardo is the MVP of the Grey Cup. And uh, he's a winner all the way, as John Frenzy likes to say. Cody joins us today just over a week after winning the whole big prize. Cody, how you doing, man? Congratulations. Way to go. And what's life like being you these days?
4: Uh, I can't complain. It's been a, a wild week and a half to say, and uh, the little guy is still trying to catch up on some sleep. We kind of put him through the ringer there, but be back here and home and getting back into our routine. Uh, every time I hear great cup you know, champ, great cup MVP, it always brings a smile to my face. All the blood, the sweat, the tears, the hard work, it, uh, it's all worth it now.
2: Your voice is gone as was Sean Lemons when he was on last week. What the hell did you guys do over the last week?
4: You killed yourself. What didn't we do over the last week? Yeah. You know, uh, for me, the entire playoffs, my voice was gone. Uh, just louder crowds. You just got to scream louder. Uh, a couple, uh, impromptu speeches. I'm sure everybody's aware of where, uh, you, you lose your voice a little bit, but, uh, I think the lack of sleep, you know, over the course of Sunday going into Monday, I slept 40 minutes, but, uh, I soaked up every minute of that Great Cup celebration and winning it. It's uh, it's not every year you get the opportunity just to be in the Great Cup, but to win it. Uh, I've been in a league going on nine years next year and won two Great Cups, and you think it comes every year in a nine-team league, and it doesn't. you got to work your tail off to get there. And so when you do win and you hoist it over your head, especially when nobody expects you to, uh, you celebrate a little bit harder.
2: Okay, man, now we're getting into it. I'll be honest with you, and I'm honest with you just like you're honest with me. You made it look easy. You didn't act, no crack at all going into this Grey Cup, but it's a Grey Cup. It's your first ever start in one. Um, How was your sleep the night before and the rousing speech you
4: gave? uh, What was that all like? Yeah, you know, honestly, it wasn't as crazy as I thought. The week leading up to it, obviously, with all the anticipation, all the hype, all the media attention, um, that was a bit overwhelming in terms of just scheduling and you get out of your routine where it's just not show up to work, watch your film, go home. There was a lot of things that you had to do outside of just football, but that was all part of the show. And and the CFL puts on such a great show, especially the great cup week. But in terms of the game at the end of the day, you know, a couple of people I reached out to, they just said, you know, it's football you've been doing this your whole life. And people I respect really highly that uh, just told me go out there, enjoy the moment. And so I try to not put too much pressure on myself and the team and, leading up into the week, everybody wanted to talk about our defense and special teams, rightfully so after the Eastern final, the way that they performed. So there was no pressure on me. There's no pressure on the offense. uh, But we knew, and uh, Coach Moss actually shared with our offense, he said, you know, I just have a crazy feeling that our offense is going to have a great showing out there. Uh, I felt really good about the game plan. I thought we were uh, methodical in the way that the coaches brought in the game plan. There was calculated shots, there was quick game, there was stuff to get my, uh, the ball out of my hand quickly, and then obviously establishing a run game. Uh, all, the, all the woes and all the negative games against Winnipeg, you know, you, you trade them all in to, to be able to beat them uh, in the Great Cup. It was all, all worth it in the end.
2: Robert from Las Vegas writes in, he says, as a devastated Bomber fan, I'm happy for you, Cody. Allie in Texarkana, Texas, she says, death, taxes, and Cody Fajardo winning. I love when Rod says that. Uh, Nelson says, where did that F you just watch speech come from, Cody? Was that boiled over? Was that boiled over frustration? How do you know as a leader when to deliver a speech like that?
4: You know, I'm not the biggest vocal guy, and especially when you sign to a new team, the, my biggest goal this year was just to go out there and play and have the guys on the on the team just watch how I go to work every day, my consistency, my discipline, and, and earn the respect that way. I didn't want to come in and talk. Obviously, I would talk to the offense and the receivers, but uh, Coach Moss on day three, he said, if anybody wants to have the floor, day four, we're going to open it up. And so I was thinking the night before, like, should I talk, should I not talk? And I was thinking... Well, if I want to get everyone's attention, I'm going to have to do a couple things that I normally don't do. One, it's yell and scream, and two, uh, use some profanity. And uh, the guys loved it, and the guys were fired up. The amount of tears and chills and people saying that they're ready to play that day, it was all worth it uh, in the end, but um, super exciting. You know, what's been crazy over the last couple days is the amount of Ryder fans that have reached out and just uh, continue to support me, even though I'm not in the green and white. That, That meant a lot to me and my wife and my family. Uh, the Argo fans that have reached out, the BC Lions fans that have reached out, and even the Winnipeg fans, the, probably the fan base that has been the hardest on me over the last four years. Um, there was a handful of them that reached out and were just extremely excited to see me hoisting the trophy over my head. And so it just goes to show that uh, I was doing something right and being able to connect and, make, and build relationships and inspire people. And, and that's, those are the things that I, I, um, I enjoyed the most, was hearing from people that I just totally didn't expect to hear from. <sighs>
2: I'm getting goosebumps as you say that. I'm not joking, man. Um, Shane, Shane, one of our sponsors from Deer Valley, says, congrats, Cody. Always a fan. Uh, so big win at, on the, and the MVP award. Deer Valley Golf and Estates, that is. Um, I'll be honest. You've had to eat a lot of crap and bite your lip in the last year. And I want to just give you the opportunity to say whatever you want to say because I felt like I was eating it right there with you. And I got in some fights on your behalf, and I thought, well, Cody's a big boy. He can handle it. But how does it feel? It's hard, <laughs> well, man. It's not easy. It's not easy for you. Uh, how did you deal with it, man? Because you shut everybody it, up, and you know
4: that. Well, I, I appreciate you. I, you always had my back, and, and I always text you that. That's why I love being a part of your show because I know you've always fought for me. But, you know, the, the hardest thing last year was uh, just the uncertainty of not knowing and feeling like you gave everything you had to a province to a team uh, and obviously it wasn't it wasn't good enough and that was the hardest thing it was like uh, playing injured and just trying to go out there and, and give everything you got and the people that were just kind of write me off and I felt like I had much better football and and I know when I don't play well enough and I know when I play well enough and I know last year wasn't my best year and uh, that there was things I wanted to change and improve on but You know, I was going into my third year as a starting quarterback. You know, I've been in the league for eight years, but every year I'm just learning so much more and so much more as a starting quarterback. So in terms of that, I'm still very young and and inexperienced, but each game I I learn so much more. But at the end of the day, going into this year, I was just blessed for a second opportunity. And I I stated that uh, in training camp was in professional sports, it's not very often you get a second chance or a second opportunity, especially to play. Um, in free agency, a lot of people were offering me, you know, a veteran deal, come in, compete. If not, you'll be a veteran backup. But Coach Moss and Danny believed in me and being a franchise quarterback. And uh, they offered me a two-year deal like I've talked about before. And that shows an investment and a commitment to me and a belief in me. And so uh, I spoke a little bit about this in the Great Cup week. Going into this year, I changed my mentality of going out there and playing for the people that believed in me as opposed to the people that don't believe in me. Because uh, I exhausted myself just trying to make everybody like me. And at the end of the day, it was uh, very hard to convert everybody into Fajardo fans. So I wanted my play on the field to do the talking. And God's plan is greater than anything I could come up with. And to stand there hoisting the the cup and having my son Luca in my arms and hearing that I, I won the MVP. You know, like I said, it makes those dark days, those days when you want to retire, the days when you think you should hang them up and nobody's going to want you. It makes it all worth it in the end.
2: It'll bother me all winter if I don't ask you this question. What caused that flip in your mind to, to go from the haters motivating you to your supporters motivating you? What, did somebody help you with that or did you do it on your own or intuition?
4: I, I felt like, yeah, it was more like exactly intuition. It was something um, I felt like, you know, I got off Twitter this year for the entire season. It was something I haven't done in the past. And just the amount uh, that I was just the negative comments and the things just was weighing on me a lot. And I felt like if I could just clear my headspace and all the people who have my telephone number, the people that text me after games, and and more importantly, the people that text me after we lose football games that are proud of me, those are the people you want to go out there and play for. And um, there's a lot of fans that uh, I have a lot of respect for now because they've came up to me personally or they reached out to me personally and said, look, I was one of the people that was talking bad about you. And uh, I just want you to know I'm proud of you and congratulations. And so uh, those mean a lot. And it takes a lot uh, for you, someone to uh, say that they're wrong and and to say it to my face. And so that's all I ever wanted was just uh, people to believe in me and uh, to make this league as best as I can and to make Montreal Alouettes the best I can. And so uh, I I was happy to be standing on that stage and uh, yeah, there wasn't really a a a big, you know, aha moment. It was just one of those things I felt like if I wanted to get to where I wanted to go, I, I needed to clear my mind during the season and just focus on the, my inner circle and focus on the people that believe in me most.
2: Well, um, I apologize to the audience. We don't have time to get to your questions. We'll have to bring Cody back once he's got a voice. And uh, he's got more time because <laughs> he's a busy guy. But as you know, you mentioned those Ryder fans a lot wrote in to me and, you, and said, can you please pass along to Cody that I, I love him and I always did, and I know those people did. I, I, it's important for them to know that they always had your back. I wasn't the only guy from the 306 that had your back. There's a lot of people that did, man, that love you. And, that's, and, and that's, uh, I should also say, yeah, go ahead, go ahead.
4: And, and, and that's exactly what I wanted to, to state and express, and I'm glad you, you had me on the show, was, you know, everybody thought that the way things ended in Sask, you know, that uh, I have this uh, hatred towards Sask, and that's not that's not it at all. There's a lot of great relationships I've built, built over the course of the years I was in Sask. A lot of people that I'm very close with, and then hearing from all the fans, Saskatchewan Rough Riders was the first team to ever give me my opportunity, so I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for that organization, if it wasn't for J.O. and Dickie believing in me from the start. It's just unfortunate the way things ended, but that's professional football, and if you don't win games, obviously there's got to be changes to be made, But uh, the amount of rat, Sask rider fans that uh, reached out, it was truly overwhelming for me and my family and the support and just hearing people reach out. I, I know that there's still a lot of love for sure. Like I said, we'll forever be tied to the heartland of SASC because of our Sunday. So we've still got a lot of love in that province and see a vagina this catch at the vagina Virginia for the Saskatchewan. we whole.
2: Love to hear it, and uh, we could go on all day, but I'll let you go. I want you to look up the definition, the translation in French of repeat because that's what's next. <laughs> Not to put any pressure on you. Go enjoy this, Cody. I know you will, but that's what's next. So happy holidays. Enjoy, uh, enjoy it, man, and keep in touch. Thank
4: hey, you for having me on the show. Happy holidays. And that's the standard, right? If you want to be uh, in touch with the greatest of Time, you got to be consistent. And so we got a young team in Montreal, and I'm extremely excited back to work. Enjoying this one, but uh, I appreciate you like always.
2: Are you struggling in life? Perhaps feeling hopeless and DM me, or email Peterson at AOL.com. It's never too late. Football Friday continues, and for the Ontario football fans and CFL fans, you're really gonna love this one. It was late in the year that Dan Giancola reached out to me via Facebook, and we'd been Facebook friends for a long time. Former Buffalo Bills and Toronto Argonauts kicker, and I believe he also played for Ottawa and I think maybe Winnipeg. But he uh, he wrote me and said, Rod, I don't know if you remember me or not. And I'm like, of course I remember you. I broadcast your games in the CFL for years. Well, what I didn't know is that he's now a best-selling author talking about his miraculous health story where he suffered the Widowmaker stroke in front of his family. Most people don't live to tell the story. Dan Giancola did. So from being a Grey Cup champion and an NFLer, to just lucky to be alive dan giancola joined us from toronto to share his remarkable story dfl veteran gray cup champion and had that tryout with the buffalo bills in 2000 he joins us on the program today and i got i could tell dan giancola that you're a very humble guy you wrote me on facebook and said rod i don't know if you remember me i'm like dan i called your games for a lot of years (laughs) you know that right (laughs) good to see you again brother and now you're on you're an author Congratulations. Thank you. It sounds crazy, don't it? (laughs) A little bit, a little bit, but but you've got a story to tell. You know what? We might as well jump right into that. The book, Be That One. Tell us about it.
5: Yeah, you know what, man? Um, Initially, when uh, I wanted to write this book, um, I just started writing it. And um, I was always told by so many people, CFL books traditionally don't sell well, and so hence why uh, no publishers or anybody really would want to, you know, touch, this, touch the book, really, at the end of the day. Um, I reached out to Perry Lefkoe, uh, who is a very good friend of mine, and he was amazing with me over all the years of, you know, playing in the Canadian Football League just in general, the Buffalo Bills and and all that fun, fun stuff. And I said, Perry, man, I, said, I really want to write a story about my uh, my career. So I sent them a chapter, and uh, I make a real long story short. It was about, uh, I, I called the chapter the kick that changed my life forever. And it was my game-winning field goal against Hamilton as a rookie. It was my third game. And he read it. He, met, he texted me back right away. He said, dude, this is pretty awesome. I said, oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. I said, I was wondering if you terribly would mind editing the chapter for me. He said, you know what, I'll do that for you. But Would you do me a favor? Can you send me um, a chapter about your heart attack? So May 20th, 2020, I had a massive heart attack here in my fitness studio. And um, I, the doctors say I should have died. I had what they call the Widowmaker. And um, it, was, it was brutal. And they said I should have died right here in my studio. Uh, I had 100% blockage of the main artery. So I wrote about this. I sent him this, uh, this chapter to him. And um, he said to me, Dan, I'm going to do this with you, but under one condition, that we make sure that this is not just about football. And I said, dude, 150%. I don't want this to be about football. I want to be about beating the odds on the field. He said to me, I think you might be able to go one more further. About two years after my heart attack, um, I had gotten uh, a clear, uh, clean bill of health. August seventeenth, two 2022, I was sitting right here in this office where I'm sitting right now. And um, I ended up with a massive stroke. Um, It's what they call the grade 17. So to kind of put that in perspective, a level 10 uh, stroke is permanent disability um, with no really chance of recovery. I had a level 17. I was here in my studio the one night, I had a great day of training my clients, doing everything here and I sat down, it was about 8.15 at night, I was cleaning my studio, everybody was gone. I lock my door every single night. Every single night. On that night, apparently, thank God, I forgot.
6: <laughs> Excuse me. And
5: next thing you know, the only way I could describe it, and like I think I like I did in the book, was I've never done a drug a day in my life. I can honestly say that on my own life. The only way I could describe it is, is if you go under an anesthetic. You're getting some form of surgery, and I've had a few of them. And um, the doctor says to you, I want you to count down from 10 to 1, and you get to like 9 or 8, and next thing you know, you're fading out, and everything around you is becoming blurry, basically tunnel vision, and then you're out. And that's the way it was for my stroke. I just remember my right leg turned in, my right arm turned in, little did I know, and I was paralyzed on my complete right side of my body. I was face down in the ground, and I was trying to push myself up with my left hand. And I kept falling on my face. Finally, somehow, by the grace of God, I don't know how, I, I do remember getting myself almost to a seated position in my couch, and I kept falling over. And next thing you know, my buddy Dave walked in, and he grabbed my face. And all I could see was, all I remember was his eyes, his nose and his mouth. And he was talking to me and I was trying to respond back to him. And I couldn't. And um, next thing I know, my peripheral vision, whatever I have left of it. I happened to look down to my left and I saw two sets of uh, boots, brown boots, blue, uh, blue pants. And the wheels would seem to be to a gurney. Next thing you know, I wake up in uh, the ICU in Niagara Falls, unresponsive. I remember uh, the nurse grabbing my face, screaming my hand, and I can hear my wife and my daughter beside me, and I look to my right, and everybody was looking for me to communicate some way, somehow. I couldn't. I just kept focusing on picking up my right arm, and it just kept falling down like a rock. And uh, I tried to move my left leg, or my right leg. I couldn't move it. All I remember is the doctor saying, "Time is of the essence. We got to get him to Hamilton right now for for surgery." At that point, apparently they administered, I, I believe, what they call it's either TPI or TPA, um, the shot that they give you, and it's uh, apparently a high dosage of a blood thinner. When I was about five minutes away from Hamilton. I just remember, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my right arm shot up.
6: Um, Not making it about the book right now, but that's
5: hence, uh, right here, the bottom picture. That's me with my arm up. My daughter was in the ambulance, and she happened to have the camera in her hand, and she snapped it. You got to just give me one second,
6: man, (laughs) because you relive this. It never goes away. And I remember the paramedic looked at me and said, uh, Hi. And I look at her and go, Hi,
5: how are you? She goes, Good. What's going on? And I said, I don't know. She goes, You can move and you can talk. And I, she goes, Do you know where you are? And I just remember saying to her, Ambulance? What's
6: your name? And I said, Dan. Do you know your last name? I didn't know my last name yet.
5: We get into uh, the Hamilton uh, Hospital. They wheeled me in, and there was five doctors waiting for me. There was about nine nurses. They wheeled me, wheeled me right into uh, a CAT scan, told me not to move. At this point, though, I was moving everything, and I could understand what they were saying. I still had no idea what happened. They wheel me out, doctor looks at me and he says, do you know why you're here? And I said, no doctor, sorry, I don't. Said so you had a massive stroke.
6: So hard to understand that when for two years, the doctors were telling you that uh, you're okay, that your heart was good.
5: And now I'm laying here, massive stroke. The doctor walked over to my wife and said uh, he had had what we call Mrs. Giancola best-case scenario. The shot was administered within 45 minutes of him having a stroke. And it doesn't always work, and for him it did. I should be be dead. I should be dead, or I should, uh, from what they told me. I should be dead or a complete vegetable. If my buddy didn't walk in that night, I would have been brain dead within 90 minutes from the magnitude of the stroke. Somehow, some way,
6: by the grace of God,
5: I'm here. 150% of me with um, no side effects. So for years, I always took pen to paper and I started writing my book and I was afraid because I just didn't think my my, uh, my story was good enough and nobody would want to buy the book and uh I'm sitting here right now and uh, I'm still shocked that I'm on the show with you right now. I'm really honored. I'm being totally honest with you. I'm uh, you should don't mind my shaking, okay? It's just it's more excitement than anything.
2: So just understand that yeah. I'm okay. <laughs> Either way, it doesn't matter. Uh, we're the ones yeah. that are honored to have you. You, sh- you should not be with us, Dan. So no. it's a miracle, period. It really is. And I have to apologize. We do have a time restraint, but let me just say in a minute, what is the genesis of your book? What's the message? It's beating the odds in, on the
5: field with no college university experience and beating the odds in life. Honestly, that's what it's all about. And uh, it's a bestseller right now on Amazon and I'm, I'm so honored. So yeah, thank you, Perry Lefko.
2: You've given us all a lot to think about here, Dan. Um, a, a champion on and off the field and your family, oh gosh. Did they, have, did they have quotes in the book? Are they talked to or about? Have they written portions of the book? Your daughter that took the picture?
5: Um, they, uh, they're all through the book. I talk about them throughout the whole entire thing. Uh, Mike Pinball Clemens, God bless him. He forwarded my book. What an amazing forward he did for me. Um, they didn't write any quotes in the book. No, nothing like that. This is all straight from me in my heart. Chasing my dream for, wow. for nine years. And, uh, surviving two things that I shouldn't
2: be here man Dan well I tell you I love you I'm glad that you're here it was an honor to call your games it's an honor to talk with you now be that one is the book everybody you're looking for a gift for the CFL fan the football fan in your life go to Amazon Dan Giancola I kind of apologize that we have to run Dan but will you come back again here soon we'll talk about book sales and all the rest I'm honored,
5: man. You know what? Anytime. Not even about the book, just to be a part of it. Thank you so much from the bottom
2: of my heart. Good to see you again, man, and congratulations on everything. Okay, welcome back, everybody, for the final overtime of 2023. Oh, man, what a year it's been uh, as we wind things up in the beautiful... Florida studio and welcome in Darren from the beautiful Toronto studio and I will remind you that Overtime is as always brought to you by our friends at Overtime Hockey Lanes in Calgary 28th Street Northeast just a slap shot away from the old Crossroads Flea Market hey if the kids are saying we're boring you're all around Southern Alberta or if you're in Calgary for a hockey tournament go check out we're bored go check out Overtime Hockey Lanes and I guarantee you you will not be disappointed. It's going to be my first stop when I get back to Cowtown. Um, Well, Darren, there it is. There's a wrap. We covered, today was a wonderful episode with Best of Interviews with Trevor Harris, Ricky Williams, Cody Fajardo, Dan Giancola. And as we look ahead to 2024, um, I, I will say this, coming out of COVID, coming out of what really was in a lot of ways for people a horrendous 2020, which is going back now a few years I see nothing but great things ahead in 2024, sports-wise and otherwise. How about you?
3: I do, too. I think, you know, we're on this trajectory where everything seems to be trending up, at least in a good way, um, for the most part. That's good coming out of the pandemic because we've done these shows where there's not a lot that's gone on the past year and there's not a lot to look forward to in terms of sports on the calendar. So uh, we are full go and uh, tremendously exciting to see where things are going to go in the calendar year ahead.
2: You know, not everybody can say that, though, and I will get into some NFL and CFL stuff here only because it's a football Friday, but we got a really good friend down there in Seattle who might be watching right now, and his name is Reed Johnson from the Markcast. And when he first came onto our radar, it was during the pandemic, and he ran what was called the XFL mark cast. Now it's just the mark cast. And he's probably feeling very fortunate that it is just the mark cast because we don't even know what the XFL is going to be here in 2024. That's my point. And I, listen, I am not afraid to admit when I'm wrong. It happens quite a bit, more than you'd think. And I really did think that the CFL coming out of COVID should combine with the XFL. I was soundly it by CFL purists. CFL hardcores, which I kind of consider myself too, but I mean stronger together. You know, I, the 90s CFL with the American teams was, a, was one of my fondest memories, but it didn't happen. And now here's the CFL. It looks like coming back really strong. I can't say stronger than ever. They got a long ways to go for that, but at least they've survived. And the XFL in 2024, they're talking about a merger with the USFL. They're like 100 days away from kicking off. don't They don't even know, they don't even know what teams they have, what a disaster.
3: It's not great. It's not great. I understand the spring leagues combining into one. That's a good thing. Um, And I wouldn't be so quick to say you are wrong. I mean, thinking they should do something and thinking they will do something completely different. (laughs) And I think thinking that they should do it, you're not wrong for that, you know, and that's your opinion on it. Um, I don't know that we said that they would do it or that it was going to happen, but you know what? The CFL does seem like it's in a better place. Yeah, I'm with you to not say better than ever or you know stronger than ever, but it's in a better place than it was, and it looks to be trending up, at least from the product on the field last year was really good. The Grey Cup was great, and I think there's a lot of good things to look forward to, but you still got to keep working at it. There's still a lot of things financially that needs to get cleaned up. And, you know, dealing with, you know, some finality on the expansion talk, if that's ever going to get squashed for good. Um, The Edmonton situation, uh, to see what happens there. Can Saskatchewan, I know they got the coach figured out, but can they get the franchise back on track where they start making some money, putting people back in the seats, which is still an issue. But for now, I think we should be excited as as to where the CFL is. Um, I
2: agree. They're back to the balanced schedule where each team will play the other in their own park at least once and go to that team at least once. Um, But I'll say this, for the National Football League, do they do anything wrong? Like, do they literally do anything wrong? I mean, with the kneelings thing, the gun thing, various things that they were backing, and they just backed away from it because they realized it was their ratings were going down. Um, that's got kind of the last controversy they were ever involved in. Now they got their London games. They got their Mexico games. i uh, sorry, Germany games. I believe they're going, they have been to Mexico. Um, they just don't stop. They just don't stop. And I don't know what the secret is or the magic is for them. And I think if, I don't think they're telling anybody because the other leagues would be
3: copying it if they could. You nailed it. They're not telling anybody. And I think the big thing is, is. They seem to sidestep and avoid. They just stay in the pocket, right? They stay in the pocket. They have pressure this side. They move to the other side. They avoid the pressure. And they do it without telling anybody they're doing it. You know, and that's where we, you know, bring in the National Hockey League when it came to the Pride Tape thing. And they came out and publicly said, teams are not going to be involved in any of these uh, promotional nights or nights at all, including Pride Tape and whatever else. The NFL would never come out and say that we're not going to do things. They just, Quietly go over here for a bit and quietly move over here and duck, duck and dodge and dip their way around without telling anybody they're doing it. So, you know, that's, that's the NFL's ammo.
2: Uh, sounds good. What are you getting up to for New Year's plans, Moose, as we wind this up in the last minute or so?
3: Yeah, we're going to celebrate with some friends and family and, uh, you know, reflect on the year a little bit, get a little champagne, have a couple of toasts, probably not go too crazy. But uh, lots to be thankful for this time of year and lots to look forward to.
2: Good for you. Love it. Thanks for all you do for us Uh, and for us. It's been a Christmas in New Orleans. Um, You know all of it. Uh, Last year, it was a Christmas in Virginia. Drove through the Carolinas, had New Year's Eve supper in Georgia at a barbecue place, Savannah, Georgia. Ended up spending the New Year's Eve night in Jacksonville, Here, we're going to drive to New Orleans from South Florida, stop and see some friends along the way, and uh, take our time and very much enjoy the break and get ready to be back on the air, all refreshed as a daisy and ready to go in 2024. Same for you, Moose, I know. Thank you. Happy New Year. And to the great Rod Squad out there, the Dupe Troop, thank you for tuning in. Please support our wonderful sponsors um every day and well into 2024 because without them there's no us be safe everybody see you next year (laughs) mcfly hello